Welcome to Leading Lights. You are about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello. 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says that we should be stewards of the manifold or multifaceted or multicolored or varied grace of God. Do you think of God's grace as just one thing? My suspicion is that most of us think of grace as just one thing, probably kindness or mercy, God's riches at Christ's expense. Most people just think of grace as one color, one shade, one note in a, in a song. It's, it's just one thing. But actually, the Bible says that it is varied. It is multifaceted, multicolored, the manifold grace of God. And we're starting a four-week series called Grace Notes. You know what a grace note is? I don't know if you read sheet music, but in sheet music, every note of a song is written on the page. And then within that, sometimes they put grace notes. Now, grace notes are little notes that were not originally there, but they're added. They're extra. They're different. They're out of the normal rhythm. They're out of the normal tune, but they add something and they make the song sound beautiful. That's grace notes in musical theory. But in biblical theory, grace notes is my way of saying there are different ways of seeing grace. And if you've seen grace in just one way, you're missing out on the manifold, multicolored grace of God. So please follow with me over these next few weeks as we look at the different aspects of grace. Now, I like to use the illustration of a beautiful rose. You know, when you see a rose, you can appreciate its beauty. You can smell it and, and love it. And, and it's just a beautiful thing. But if a rose was just one blob of color, it wouldn't be so beautiful. It's the different textures and the petals and the shapes that make a rose so beautiful. It is its variation, but also its harmony. But if we start to pull the rose apart to try and understand what makes it up, we pull one petal off and then another petal, and then we separate the, the flower from the stem. And we're saying, I'm wanting to understand the parts that make this rose beautiful. At the end of that process, we're left with something that is no longer beautiful. And it's the same with God's truth and his word, but also this idea of grace notes, the four different aspects of grace in the Bible. We must understand them because if we only see one, we're missing out totally. But if we pull them apart too much, and if we especially emphasize only one at the expense of the others, then we're left with something that is maybe understood, but not enjoyed. And it doesn't bring the power and the love. So why is grace important? I don't know if you've realized this, but grace is the unique thing about Christianity. Now, I believe that Christianity is the truth, the only truth. There is no way to God except through Jesus Christ, we're told in the Bible. And I believe that Christianity is the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Uh, by the help of God. I really do believe that, that Christianity is true. But if you compare Christianity to every other religion, and you could say they have different books, or they have different traditions, or they have different buildings, or different places, or different sources, or different leaders. But actually, 
There is one thing that sets Christianity apart from all of the others. You could put every other belief, philosophy, and religion in one big basket, and it says this. Human beings have to do, D-O. We have to do certain things. We have to do religious practices, visits, uh, observe things. We have to do. It's up to us. But Christianity is the only one that says it's all been done by God, D-O-N-E. It's all been done. It's the only one. It's the only one that teaches grace as the only way to salvation. And unfortunately, even though many people call themselves Christians, if they're still in the do camp where they think, do my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then they are not in true biblical Christianity. And I'm going to show you that today. Grace is the thing. The absolute essential thing that makes Christianity different, that gives us the power to be saved, to serve God, to live for Him, to be full of His joy and His peace, to affect the world around us. Grace is the thing. And I can confidently say to you that if you are struggling in your spiritual walk with God, if you've lost your fire, your excitement, your zeal, it's because you've lost touch or lost sight of this thing called grace and faith is the way that we accept it. Just simply receiving it and saying, I believe you, God. Grace through faith is the way the Bible says we get saved. Allow me to read a few verses to show you why grace is so important. We must get this. If you get this topic of grace notes, of the four aspects of grace, it will invigorate you, it will empower you, and it will excite you and set you on a course to serving God better. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, we have all sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Everyone needs grace. There is no one who's good enough. No, not one, the Bible says. It doesn't matter how good you think a person is, they need grace. We must have grace. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. Not by religion, not by tradition, not by observing a whole lot of, of ways and, and deeds and things that other people are telling you to do. It's by grace, through faith. We just accept it. Romans 6 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. The reason we overcome sin and the way that we overcome sin is not because we're trying to obey a whole lot of laws and rules through our self-effort and our own strength. No, it's by grace. It's this gift of God, this empowerment of God, this blessing of God, this kindness of God. These grace notes come flooding in. And where we had just heard one rhythm and one note, you know the beat of a drum, when an army is marching and there's a drum that's beating to keep them marching in time. And sometimes there's a, a trumpet that sounds one or two notes and it's very uh, monotone and just the same and repetitive. That's, that's what the law is like. It says, do, 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 march, march, march. But grace notes come in and it's harmonies and it's melodies and it's different timings and it's beautiful highs and lows and it inspires us and it's interesting and beautiful and it comes from God. 
The Galatian church started with grace when Paul taught them about Jesus, but then they'd moved out of grace. Somebody had come to them and said, you must obey the law to get to heaven. You must do good works. You must, you must, you must. And Paul wrote the whole book of Galatians to them. I'm just going to read you three little excerpts. Galatians 1 verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. If we haven't understood grace, if we're not living and reveling in grace, it's a different gospel, not God's gospel that we are following. You say, but I'm trying to do good. Yes, but you can't achieve it. No matter how hard you try, you can never achieve God's high standard. It has to be a gift. What about this passage? Galatians 2 verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. He says, you mustn't set aside the grace of God. Because if you could be good enough, then there was no reason for Christ to die. Wow. Wow. I could stop right there and you would understand how important grace is. And then listen to Galatians 5, where he starts talking about if they go this route of trying to obey a whole lot of rules to be good enough for God. He, he says some very, very fearful things. He says, stand fast then in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage to obeying a whole lot of rules and trying to worry, am I good enough for God? He says, be free, but then listen to what he says. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. In other words, if you say, I'm going to do all these lawful, legal, Old Testament rules in order to try and please God, he says, you've thrown away Christ. You've got to either take grace or works, law. You can't have both. Now, we do obey the law, but it's because grace empowers us to. It's not because we're trying to achieve God's favor. Listen to what he goes on to say. So there he says, Christ will profit you nothing. You've, you've forsaken Christ's power. Verse 3, And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You've got to choose all law or all grace. Verse 4, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. So grace is important. Amen. Grace is important. Let me summarize before I talk about the first grace note. Grace is manifold. 1 Peter 4 verse 10 speaks of the manifold, multicolored, variating uh, aspects of grace. There is more than one flavor, more than one note, more than one rhythm. There are grace notes, and we're looking at four of them in this series. The first element is mercy. The others are justice, empowerment, and eternity. Let me just give you a quick overview of them. Mercy is kindness, the kindness of God. When Jesus was walking around, somebody came to him, a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. That is mercy. He was moved by compassion, kindness, pity, love, mercy. You might think of that as the only definition of grace, kindness, mercy. But there's another one justice, where he declares us righteous and it is legally correct. And you may not even know about that one, but it's so important for you to know 
what grace entails. There is a legal aspect to grace. So there's a kindness aspect. Then there's a legal aspect. It's a bit like a judge in a court case loving the person who he's judging. Maybe it's his son or his wife. He loves them so much, but then he has to obey the law and he has to find a way to express his love, but keep the law in place and intact. And so he takes the punishment himself. So there's a mercy aspect, there's a justice aspect. Then there is an empowerment aspect where the Bible speaks of grace being super abundant, overflowing. You're able to do more, to be more, to enjoy more, to see more, to live the life that God allows. It's, it's an over, above and beyond empowerment. Mercy is saying your sins are gone, but this empowerment aspect of grace says let's add more power to you so that it's not just you're forgiven, but now you are serving God abundantly. And then the fourth grace note is eternity, where the Bible says that he gave us grace before time began. And there's this aspect of an otherworldliness of grace where it seems like God was working right from my childhood to bring me to Him. It seems like I was chosen before I was born. Uh, it seems like grace is breaking in from heaven into this time and this earth and changing me. And those are the four grace notes that we're going to look at. But today, I want to look at mercy. God is rich in mercy. Did you know, did you know that He calls Himself? His name is merciful. Um, Moses said to God, I want to, I want to see your glory. And God said to him, I'm going to pass by you and I'm going to say my name. And then in Exodus 34, verse 6, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed his name, the Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, and that means thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and their children to the third and fourth generation. Mercy and justice meet together in grace. And here he says, my name is, and by far the majority of his name, that whole section is his name, and by far the majority of it is mercy, kindness, grace, compassion. Psalm 103 and many, many places in the Old Testament, it repeats this truth about God. It says, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. What do you think of when you hear the word mercy? Somebody being kind to you, somebody taking pity on you, somebody helping you when you're in need. Beautiful. Lamentations 3, verse 22, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. You see, because we sinned, we turned away from God. We deserve to get the consequences of turning away from life and joy and peace. But His mercy means we're not consumed. He keeps us alive. He didn't have to, but He does. Because His compassions fail not. His mercy is, is constant. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, your mercy and your faithfulness, God. I wonder if you are seeing and understanding this aspect of grace because it is important. Again and again in the Old Testament, it speaks of God's mercy. And then listen to these New Testament verses. Ephesians 2 verse 4, But God who is rich in mercy, rich in mercy, it's not begrudging for Him. He doesn't say, oh, okay, I'll help you out. No, no. 
He's overflowing with it. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It's so amazing. The mercy of God. And it can be trusted. It can be relied upon. When we go to God, He doesn't change from day to day. His mercy is not depending on His mood or on our behavior. His mercy is a constant flow of love. He is kind and compassionate. I'm just going to read you one more verse, and then I'm going to explain how Jesus demonstrated this. So Titus 3 verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's his mercy and his generosity that he pours out on us. And that's how we are saved. Let me just show you a few examples of how Jesus showed this mercy. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hebrews 1 says, he is now the brightness of God's image. We've seen pictures of God, shadows in the past, but now we see the full picture of what God is like in Jesus Luke chapter 7 verse 12. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. So there's this lady, she's a widow, and now she's lost her only son. And it's her funeral, the, the funeral for her son. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her and said, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. He was motivated by mercy. We've seen how he cleansed the lepers, how he's risen the dead from, from death and from the coffin up to life. And now Matthew 9 verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Do you need cleansing like a leper? Perhaps parts of your life are dead. Perhaps you are weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Perhaps you just need somebody to guide you and help you and put you back on the right path. Jesus has compassion. Matthew 14, And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. He loves to heal. It's in his mercy nature. He wants to help. And then Matthew 15, verse 32, Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude. They have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And he fed them. There were so many times where Jesus showed compassion. The woman who was caught in adultery, everyone wanted to stone and punish her. He said to them, do you have sin? And then he turned to the woman and said, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. He had compassion. He had mercy. There was time and time again where he forgave and he helped. When Peter tried to walk on the water and he started sinking, Jesus reached out his hand, took him by the hand and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? This mercy, this mercy that motivated Jesus to leave heaven. He didn't need to come and save us, but he came. He became a human. He lived on earth. He suffered all the temptations and trials we suffer. He took a terrible death for us because of mercy. 
He feels love, compassion, and we can rely on it. Let me close with Hebrews 4 verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, there are grace notes pouring out of the throne of God. And it says we can come boldly. How could we come boldly? We are full of sin. We are full of failure. We are full of confusion. How can we come boldly to a God who can see right through us, who knows everything about us, who knows us inside and out better than we know ourselves, and who is pure and holy and all-powerful and can and should judge us for every one of our errors? How can we come boldly to this throne? Because it's a throne of grace, and it says that we may find mercy. God is looking with eyes of kindness and mercy and pity and love. That is the God we serve. He's not the God of all the other religions, who is a harsh God. He demands perfection, all the other, all the other gods. And if you get it wrong, you have to keep trying again and again and again. No, no, no. We serve a God of mercy. Jesus showed compassion. He showed love. He showed forgiveness. And I want you to please understand this first grace note. Friend, if you don't get grace, you don't get anything. If you think you are still able to please God by your own good works, you've missed the point. You know, the prodigal son who went away and ate with the pigs and then eventually came back and apologized to his father and was accepted and loved and given a huge party and new clothing and restored to sonship. That prodigal son who understood the mercy and the grace of a father, he had an older brother who was serving in the fields. And when the older brother heard the music and the dancing, the Bible says, I don't know what dancing sounds like from outside the house, but it shows me they were stomping their feet. And when he heard them dancing and rejoicing, he said to one of the other servants, what's going on? The servant said, your brother has been forgiven. He's come home. He was lost and he's been found. And the older brother would not go in and he was angry. Why? Well, his father asked him, said, what, what's going on? Why, why aren't you coming in? And the older brother said, all these years I have been serving you. I've never done anything wrong. I've never asked for anything from you and you've never given me anything. That older brother ostensibly was a son of the father, but because he didn't understand grace, he thought he had to earn it and he thought he was earning it. He thought he'd never done anything wrong. I can guarantee you he had done things wrong. He thought he'd never asked for anything. Everything he had was because of the father. He thought he'd been perfect and served. But you know, when we look at ourselves, we judge ourselves by our good intentions. But God, if he was to judge us on the law and on our righteousness, it would be we have failed, we have failed, we have failed. But God is rich in mercy. The younger son had to go and eat with the pigs to realize he needed mercy. The older son never realized because he thought he was good enough. My friend, please fall on your knees today. Cry out for God's mercy. Every time somebody cried out for God's mercy in the Bible, God said, I forgive you. Every time someone came to him and said, I'm righteous enough, God said, no, I oppose the proud, but I give grace to the humble. Will you pray a prayer with me today? 
and just give your life to the Lord. Pray these words. Say, Dear Lord God, I see today that I cannot earn my salvation. I cannot be good enough. I need your grace. And Lord, particularly today, I need your mercy, your pity, your forgiveness, your help. Lord, I humble myself. I'm not good enough. I say sorry for my sin, but I rely and plead on your mercy. And I thank you, God, that you have said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, I receive the salvation today. I thank you that Jesus' death on the cross was enough to forgive me and wash me clean. I say thank you, God, for making me brand new. I trust your word that you say you have made me forgiven and clean. And Lord, now I come boldly to the throne of grace. I walk with my head up high as a son or daughter of the King. And I thank you, God, that you've put a robe on me and you've thrown a party for me. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, please let us know. Go to our website, leadinglicenetwork.com. Tell some other people, at least one or two other people, what's happened to you. But communicate with us. We've got a wonderful website that will guide you through your walk with Christ. Also, we have so many resources to help you serve Him and grow in Him. And we have a mobile phone app. And I would encourage you to look on the App Store or the, the Play Store, all the different places you can get apps. And look for Leading Lights Network app because it really will help you. We're here for you. We're praying for you. And I want to tell you that when you've made this decision to rely on God's mercy instead of your goodness, it is like a launching pad. We're going to see in the rest of the Grace Notes how God empowers us, how He makes us righteous, and how He's working from eternity and from heaven to work all things together for good, to make your future a path that gets brighter and brighter and brighter until we get to heaven. Good things are ahead. We love you. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.